Good morning. It was a Monday, and I was crying on the train. I thought I was alone in the carriage, so I wasn't really trying to stop. Um, If you're a really, truly practiced crier like I am, you are able just to sit in complete silence uh, with just the constant stream of tears flowing down your face. Um, And I was sitting there, and then I heard someone say, hey, and I didn't really register at first, just in my own world, hey, hello, why are you crying? And I turned, and I looked at this man who'd sat down a few seats away from me, and I fully expected to lie. And instead, in this just odd fit of honesty, I told him, my friend died. It was her birthday this week. And I think he said, sorry, and I probably said, thank you. And when I stood up to get off the train, he said, hey, take heart. As a church, for the last couple of months, if you've not been here, we have been looking at the scripture known as the Ten Commandments. And you probably um, have heard the story a lot of times by now. The Hebrews have been led out of Egypt by Moses. He goes up Mount Sinai, and God gives the law. The Hebrews are going to be a chosen people, a priestly kingdom. Israel is going to have this special vocation to bless the whole world. It will be a nation of proper worship and justice and covenant. And Moses is given the terms of that covenant, the things that the people are going to follow that identify them as God's people. And the ninth of these commandments is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And uh, we're going to explore how we relate to that commandment. And most of the time, uh, especially for me growing up in Sunday school, you shall not bear false witness is just communicated as do not lie, um, which is fine. But I want to explore a bit what do not, uh, you shall not bear false witness actually means. Because if you live in a context with no CCTV and no DNA testing. Um, Witnesses are a huge part of the process of trying to determine legal guilt or innocence. So being a false witness, well, that's linked to bribery and corruption and discrimination against the poor and so on. Later in the book of Exodus, we have um, kind of a bit of expounding on the command that Nick read for us. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. Do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge, and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty." Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. So there's all this stuff about how we relate to one another on a societal level, just bound up together. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, when he writes about the Ten Commandments, he talks about there being clusters of them. And the one we're looking at today, not bearing false witness, comes in a cluster with do not commit adultery and do not steal. 
Why do those go together? Because they represent an honesty that is the minimum necessity for our society to work. It's our relationship one, with one another in this covenant God has set out. Uh, and here in the UK, uh, that minimum necessary is acknowledged um, on the wall of the House of Lords. There's a big mural of Moses coming down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Rabbi Sachs writes, the prohibition of false testimony is the precondition of justice. The prohibition of false testimony is the precondition of justice. A just society, which is the one we all want to live in, needs more than uh, laws and courts and enforcement agencies. Because if there's perjury and false accusation everywhere, people can't access justice, especially those who have no one to advocate for them, those who don't have money or power or connection. And within scripture, we can find myriad examples where men lie and there are terrible consequences. Abraham was prepared to allow someone to violate his life, for his wife for his lie to save his own skin. And Isaac goes on to do the same thing. Ahab trumps up false accusations against Naboth and has him stoned so that he can steal his vineyard. Stephen, the first martyr, is stoned on the witness of false witnesses. When I read um, those verses I read from Exodus about siding with the crowd, I can't help but think of Jesus who is brought to trial on false accusations. Why did Gareth Southgate end up managing England? Because he showed himself to be a person of integrity when his predecessor was caught up in lies and corruption and bribery. And scripture does refer to someone who loves and practices lying, which I think means an inveterate, pathological, um, easy liar who tries to make their lies true by repeating them. And I think we can all think of a few significant examples of those, and sadly some in extremely powerful positions. Some of the people who have the most control over the narratives of our society have a completely indifferent relationship with the truth. They set themselves up like Pharaoh or like Caesar. They take God's role of determining what is real by their words. They say that day is night and night is day and everything else is fake news. But I think most of us aren't actually like that. Um, Jesus says in Mark's Gospel that our slander comes out from our hearts. And I think lots of us lie not because we're future dictators or propagandists, um, because, but because the truth makes us feel vulnerable, or because our self-esteem is low, because we are resentful or envious. To be honest, most of the time when I lie, it's out of convenience. I am too lazy to explain or complicate things, or I don't want to say that I don't know what the answer is. The time that I lie the most is at the hairdresser because I feel like really defensive about all the questions they ask you and then I have to say also that I like the haircut at the end. We join in with gossip and hearsay and we get that little high off repeating it and passing it on. We can all bear false witness by buying into lies about ourselves and one another. We can repeat things we know to be untrue or we have no evidence for. We can join in 
with dehumanizing language that we see in the media. Animals, subhuman, scum. The vast, infamous, dehumanizing lies of the last few centuries, I'm thinking of white supremacy and anti-Semitism, needed your average person to spread them. Every genocide starts with a lie. So if that is bearing false witness against your neighbor and its natural consequences, the commandment for God's people is you shall not bear false witness. So what is not bearing false witness? Well, surely it's bearing true witness. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you bear true witness about them. And that leads to justice. So we don't spread lies or testify to lies. And also, we speak truth and we tell truth. We don't cover up abuse and we speak out when we see injustice. And we build one another up. We notice good things about one another. We encourage one another. There's that verse in Proverbs that talks about getting a letter from an old friend is like drinking a cool glass of water in the desert. We speak words that give grace to those who hear, that comfort and clarify. Paul writing to the Ephesians says, be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving and wraps it up with all that stuff about not speaking slander and unwholesome talk. And this is really hard to do. Some of us are naturals, others are not. Um, but I think the only way for those of us who are not is practicing. And it will feel really awkward the first few times you say something encouraging to someone. And then you just get past the awkwardness barrier and it becomes a bit easier. And I think this command extends to our whole speech. So Jesus instructs his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount not just not to break oaths, but not to swear them at all. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Um, I don't know exactly what that means, but I think it's perhaps that we should be steeped enough in honesty, that we should have enough reputation for honesty, that we don't need to swear to things because people know that we tell the truth. There's a, a lot of bad examples in scripture of people swearing to things and bad things happen. Jephthah, uh, was so afraid of rejection by his peers that he entered an oath God never asked for, which meant he murdered his daughter, and he was so afraid of losing face that he didn't ask God to be released from the oath. Or the lectionary gospel today is uh, King Herod Antipas, who swore a stupid oath to his stepdaughter and was so insecure that he went through with it, even though it meant murdering John the Baptist. Another great way to bear true witness is not pretending to be experts about stuff, being okay with saying, I don't know, not commenting on every single thing that happens, or constantly volunteering our parroted opinions about the news. And if you're a Christian, then there is another sense, I'd say the superlative sense, in which you are compelled to bear true witness, and that is to Jesus. If you want to... Um, Cast your mind back a few months when we were still in Eastertide, um, before Jesus ascends into heaven. What does he say to his followers? You are witnesses of these things. And these things was his death, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of sins. And what does Peter say uh, when they get him in front of the crowd? 
we are witnesses of these things. Even the denier gets there eventually. The women who went to the tomb to witness the resurrection couldn't have legally been witnesses in court, but they bore true witness to what had happened. Why were the Christians of history persecuted and massacred in their droves? Because they refused to bear false witness to their neighbor. And in this case, their neighbor was Christ. Telling the truth about Jesus and being killed for it is the most consistent thing in church history. The word martyr used to mean witness, and it has come to mean somebody who dies for what they believe. Uh, an example I'm going to give you, in about AD 160, uh, in a place we would now recognize as being in Turkey, uh, there was a man called Polycarp, which I always think sounds a bit like a Pokemon, and he uh, was arrested for being an atheist, even though he was a bishop. Um, but because he and his, his fellow Christians wouldn't engage in the worship of the emperor, uh, they were charged with atheism. And the story goes that uh, when they offered him the chance to deny Christ and live, he said, 86 years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He refuses to bear false witness against his neighbor. They burnt him at the stake, and those who were watching claimed it was as if bread was being baked, and there was a sweet smell like frankincense. And whether we believe them or not, we can see their point. It's this very public, very tangible witness to Christ. And Polycarp was just one of many, just a famous one of a lot. We don't get to, slash we don't have to, depending on your preference, bear witness to Jesus on our own. In that second passage, uh, the fourth chapter of Ephesians, Paul writes, you are part of one another or you are members of one another. You are being called to go beyond the minimum that society needs to function and towards an authentic community, a body. We're not just here to try our best not to murder each other, not to steal from each other, not to tell lies from each other. We are a family. We are supposed to give one another life. I was at a baptism uh, once, and there was this very tough XRAF guy, and before he got into the pool, his testimony was this, I am a witness to his love. And when he was baptized, he became part of us, part of this adopted family, the church, the cloud of true witnesses. When we're going around being all truthful, um, it's not always obvious how. There's not just an accurate thing to say. There's a time and a place and a context and an audience and a volume and a manner of saying something. So was it a really good thing that my mum wrote my sister-in-law a long message before she gave birth with uh, the kind of graphic details of my brother's birth and like some encouraging words about it? Yes. Was it good that she accidentally set it as my Facebook status? No. And within the body, we even have to be vulnerable with one another. We have to show ourselves trustworthy and discreet and kind. Showing up when you say you will is being truthful. One of the moments I felt actually most proud during the World Cup, even though I don't care about sports at all, uh, was when Harry Kane 
having come off uh, the, the pitch after losing to Croatia, said, it hurts a lot, it will hurt for a while. It was truthful, it was vulnerable, there was no bitterness or blame in it. And it gave his community the opportunity to rally round him with grace and truth in a way that wouldn't have happened if he was just like, I'm fine, yeah, it's fine, I'm fine. On that train, I told the truth, and I don't regret it, because I bore witness to my love for my friend and the pain I was in at her death. And that man told the truth back to me. Take heart, it's from John's Gospel. You shall have suffering in the world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I bore witness to him, and he bore witness back to the truth of the resurrection, of the ultimate healing of Jesus. Amen.